Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And as they're leaving, I'll invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We, for the summer, we're going to be going through the book of 1 Peter. Pastor Jim and Pastor Kevin went through chapter 1 over the last couple of weeks. And so um, I've been tasked with the first part of chapter 2. And um, I'm, I'm excited about, about this morning. I, as I was reading this passage, I think this is a passage that um, is, is very important for us to, to hear this morning. And so as the hum is dealt with, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, God, we just thank you for, uh, again, for a chance to gather as your people this morning. And we pray now as we open your word together that for those of us here who uh, are hurting, uh, who need a word of comfort, uh, we pray that your word will be that word of comfort this morning. And for those of us who are uh, secure and uh, feeling like everything is great, uh, we pray that your word will challenge us this morning. We pray that your word will push us uh, further into the life that you have called us to. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. First Peter chapter 2. Therefore, okay, let's stop there. Therefore, anytime we come across the word therefore, what do we do? See what it's there for. Good. You guys are brilliant. Um, so, uh, what, what are we talking about? We're, as, we, as we read through First Peter, we're breaking it up into sections. Uh, it's going to take us like 10 weeks to get through this. They would have read it, sat down and read this letter um, all at once. And so as we, as we get broken up here, we have to remember where we've been, what is our context um, that we've been talking about. So let's jump back just a little bit. There's, there's a ton of context here that we're, that we're going to have to sort of sum up very quickly. Um, by the way, before we do that, Pastor Kevin let me know that the youth were taking bets this morning on how early I would finish my sermon because the World Cup starts at noon. And um, I'm more thinking about that it's really hot in here and trying to get you guys out of here as soon as possible. It's all for you. It's not anything... <laughs> But we got about five minutes, and then we're... No, <laughs> uh, no but uh, so let's just jump back to verse 22. Um, for the sake of time, we could really go back all the way as far as... I'm going to read the whole chapter again, but um, verse 22. Having purified your souls... This is chapter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly... From a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So as we come to chapter 2 and we get this, therefore, this is what we're talking about. Uh, Peter is reminding them and has been talking to them about the salvation that they've had in Jesus Christ. 
and the, and the work that God has done in them to, to give them a new life. He uses this language of they are born again. And he says that this has, been, this has been working in you, this has been happening in your life. If we had gone back, we would have talk, looked at through your faith in Jesus Christ, through the hope that you have in him, you've been brought into this new life, and you've been given this, this new birth. And so he says, therefore, because this has happened to you, because you have entered into this new life, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And he says, put all of these things away. The, the word that he's using here is this idea of, of rid yourself of these things. Uh, take them off. It's like, uh, it's like a garment. Um, it's hot in here, and so I'm going to take off my tie. And this is the language that he's using, that you, that you remove these things. I'm going to try to take off my tie and not mess up my microphone. That you remove these things. You take them off, and you set them down, and then you have nothing to do with them again. He's not saying uh, sort of maybe you know, half take them off and just wear them around a little bit when it's convenient for you or when you feel like it. Um, but he says, take it off. Get rid of it. It's gone. Take these things off. And what does he say? Uh, he says, take off and put away all malice, put away all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. For the sake of time, we're not going to look at all of these, but I want to point us to just a couple of them. It says, don't wear these things around any longer. Don't let these things hang around your life. Uh, malice. The idea of this word malice is, is a perversion of good. It's the twisting of something that, that is virtuous and good and turning it and using it for your own ends for your own evil gains. Uh, we do this often when we, uh, when we distort something that is beautiful and we use it for our own selfishness. Uh, we'll just keep going with it. Um, we, we take something that is, that is beautiful and good and we begin to twist it and we begin to attack somebody with it or we begin to pervert it just enough so that uh, we tear down with it rather than building up. We take something that is, has been uh, designed for goodness and we use it for our own gain, uh, to harm another person. We do this perhaps when we, when we look to critique and attack uh, something that somebody has made. And we, instead of trying to offer constructive criticism, we criticize so that we feel a little bit better about ourselves. We say, oh, look at that. Well, I can find what's wrong with that. And, the finding, and as we find what's wrong with what somebody else does, we're not doing it so that we can help them and build them up, but we're doing it so we can feel a little bit more secure about our own weaknesses and our own failures. And we say, well, that person, uh, they just don't have it quite together. Uh, so we have this malice in which we tear down to build ourselves up rather than than critiquing to build others up. Uh, he then says, he talks about uh, hypocrisy and envy, deceit, um, all of these things which, which just twist and distort and put a mask on things, which, um, which we deceive others for our own gains, envy. And then finally he, sa he says, and, and all slander. This word slander is this idea of speaking against 
Um, again, this idea of tearing down with our words, but it's this idea of, of, uh, of speaking out against somebody uh, to harm them. And we do this sometimes uh, even, even just by, maybe we do this by sharing a post that somebody else made on Facebook that, that criticizes this person. And we didn't actually use those words ourselves, but we sure shared it with the rest of the world. And we tear down and we slander and we speak against people who maybe we don't necessarily agree with the decisions that they're making. And we say, oh, those people over there, this is how they are. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what she did? And we slander, we tear, we speak against. And sometimes we, sometimes we might even be right. Sometimes they are making mistakes. Sometimes they are doing things that are wrong. Uh, but we... But uh, Peter tells us that we are to rid ourselves of every kind of slander. Not just, not just the kinds that, of slander that's really malicious and, and well, they, they deserved it um, or they, they didn't deserve it and we're just slandering, but also the kind where maybe, maybe they are wrong. But it's, is it up to us to speak out against them? Peter says, no. Rid yourselves of this hostile language uh, that tears down, even if there is truth behind it. Rid yourselves of all slander. All of it. It says take it off. Put it aside. The Greek word here, all, means all. It doesn't mean little, little pieces are okay. It means rid yourself of all of it. Because, because what he's called us to what we're talking about here, going back to verse 22, remember we've had this therefore, 22 of verse 1. You've been purified, your souls have been purified by your obedience to the truth. And we've been purified for a sincere and brotherly love. So we are to love one another earnestly, love one another deeply from a pure heart. What God is doing in us, in, us in, in forming us into a new life, in, form, in, in giving us new birth in him, is forming us into people who don't have this, this slander and malice as a part of our character any longer. We're, he's saving us from those things, and he's saving us towards actions of love and kindness. He says, this is what you have been saved from. So put away all of these things that are no longer a part of this new life that you've been brought into. Don't have any part of them because they're not a part of, this, of what it means to be born again. He says instead, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This word for pure spiritual milk, the word, the word actually isn't um, the word that we often translate, get translated from spiritual. The, the normal word for spirit in the Greek is this word pneuma, and so a spiritual would be pneumatikos, but the word that we have here is, is the word uh, logikos, logikos, which, from which we get the word logic. And what he's actually saying is to, to, put, to, to crave for this this kind of milk, for this kind of uh, life, this nourishment, like a baby would receive nourishment, to crave this kind of rational milk that brings, that, that fits with the kind of life that you've been called to, that, that makes sense 
with this life that you are growing into. In other words, don't, you've, you've been saved from that sin, you've been saved from that malice, you've been saved from that envy, you've been saved from that slander, so, so crave the thing, crave what nourishes to, to bring that kind of life that you've been called into. The stuff that makes sense. It doesn't make sense to go back. It's not logical to go back and to continue to pursue and to live lives of envy and malice and slander because this isn't what we're about here in this new life. And so he says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have tasted that this life that God has called you to is a good life, then, then rid yourselves of all the things that have to do with the old life. Rid yourselves of all the things that have nothing to do with what Jesus has called you to and, and birthed in you. And instead, crave the kind of brotherly love, crave the kind of life that God has, has given you. And grow up into that salvation. Mature into that salvation. You have been saved. Now continue to grow into this life that God is, is creating in you. Continue to desire the things that give life, not the things that tear down and give death. Verse 4, he says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter then begins to, to shift what he's talking about, and he moves to talk about this building project. And he says that you are a part of this building project. You've come to this stone. And as he, he, he talks about this stone, he's referring to Jesus Christ as this stone. And he, and he begins to, to pull examples from Scripture. So if you have a, a more modern translation, a lot of you will have the, the quotes from Scripture offset in your Bibles. And he quotes from, from Psalms 118, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 8, and he quotes from Psalm 34. And he's quoting these psalms that, that were, were messianic psalms, that were, that were understood to be psalms that spoke of the Messiah coming for Israel. And he's saying uh, that these psalms and these prophecies have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so you, he talks about this stone, this building project that is underway. And he, and he refers to Jesus as both a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling. And the idea behind the cornerstone would be that when you laid a foundation, you began the construction, that you would start with the cornerstone, the foundation stone. And as you're building with, with rocks, the, the, the cornerstone has to be the one that, that lines up and the one that is, is perfectly laid out because all of the other stones are going to build off of that corner and be built up over that corner. 
And so if it's not shaped in the right direction, if it's not quite right, everything that then builds off of it is going to be just a little bit off. And he says that Jesus Christ is this foundation stone, is this, is this central stone for, for the building of this project. But he also talks about another project that's being built, a project that's being built by humans, that, that when they come across this cornerstone, they see it and they say, no, this, this can't be the cornerstone. This, this one's not good. This one's not going to build the building that we want. And so they toss it aside. And, and Peter is saying and using from these, these psalms, this is, Jesus quotes this psalm for, to describe himself in the Gospels. Um, and, and we see this in, in Acts. We see this, this psalm again and again, this idea that Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the builders. He's the life that was rejected by the builders. And they said, no, that, no, there's no way that could be the Messiah. There's no way he could be the Messiah. And so he was rejected and he was crucified. But Peter says, and Jesus says about himself, that actually the stone that was rejected has become now the cornerstone. The stone that said this can't even have a place in the building, this has no part in it, has become the foundation stone on which all else has been built around. And what he says then is as we come to this stone and that we too then become a part of this building project. And he, he sort of starts to mix the, mix the metaphor up a little bit uh, but we'll forgive him. Uh, and he says that, that, that we are part, we are being built on this cornerstone, but then he begins to say that we are actually the people inhabiting the building that is being built through this cornerstone, that is being built up around us. So he says, you come to him, the living stone rejected by men. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You also, your lives are being built around Christ as your foundation. You're being built up around him. But then he says uh, to be a, that you are to be, as you are built up, you are to be a holy priesthood. So you are now the inhabitants. You are the ones who are actually working in this temple that is being built up. And you are to be a holy priesthood. And your role is to offer sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he says that you, uh, as believers, are being placed in a position where you proclaim the goodness of this God in this temple. Uh, that you are proclaiming the work that God has done in your own lives. That you become the mediators between God and the world to bring the message of God's love and salvation. That you are being built up and you are working in this house. He says in verse 9, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And the reason you are this the reason you are this chosen race, the reason you are this holy priesthood, the reason that you are this holy nation, the pe- the reason that you are a people for his possession is so that you can slander other people. So that you can live with malice in your hearts towards those around you. So you can have envy as you see the things that others have and you don't. So that you can live deceitfully in your world, gaining what you can for yourself. 
Is that in your translation? <laughs> no, it's not in mine either. Uh, what does he say? He says, you are this chosen people so that you might, may proclaim the excellencies. Or your translation might say the goodness or the virtues. So that you might proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness, who called you away from that life. You may proclaim the praises and the goodness and the excellencies of that one and has called you into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, you are being built into this kind of house. The purpose of this house, the purpose of what you have been called to, the purpose of your ministry as, as a priest, nation of priests, as a, as a people uh, who, who intercede for our world, is to proclaim God's goodness and God's praises into this world. Because you have now received mercy. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We read part of this this morning, or Pastor Kevin read this to us. Uh, but it's fascinating that Paul uses almost the exact same language with just a slight twist in Ephesians chapter 2 to describe, uh, to describe the, the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2 will begin... Uh, We'll begin in verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. A little bit of context for what Paul is talking about. So Peter, as he's writing his letter, is writing primarily to Jewish Christians. People who, who grew up as, as Jews and, and lived as Jews, and then they, they began to believe in Jesus Christ, and they became Christians. Paul is writing primarily to Gentile Christians. People who grew up and lived as Gentiles, Romans, uh, worshipped as, as Romans, um, and, and then began to believe in Jesus Christ and became Christians. So he's writing to these two separate people, and they're within the context of, of Peter's congregation, and within the context of Paul's congregation, there would have been some crossovers. So there's probably some Jews, Jewish Christians in Ephesus, and there's probably some Gentile Christians in uh, wherever Peter is writing to. Uh, but the primary, the primary audience is uh, for Paul as Gentiles, for Peter as Jews. And I say this because this is what Paul is talking about here in the first part of what we just read. He says, you were once Gentiles. You, you never had a part in what God was doing. The people of Israel were the chosen people of God, and you were excluded and, and on the outside of all of that. You were, you were alienated. You were strangers. And then he says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing their hostility. And he came and preached peace to you Gentiles who were far off, and to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is exactly what Peter is saying, right? That you are being built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ into a temple. That you are being built into this, into this place where people would come and they would encounter God. This is the role of the temple. That you would, you would come to this place that was set apart and you would come there and you would come to meet and to know God more fully. And what Paul is saying and what Peter is saying is that you Christians, you are to be that place on earth where people come and they encounter God more fully. That this is the kind of life that you are to live. That people encounter you and they, and they see more of the love of the God who has given himself for us. But there's a, there's a difference between what Peter says and what Paul says, and, and it's this. He says, in, Paul says, that you are no longer strangers and aliens. You Gentiles who were once separated, who once had no place, you are no longer separated, you're no longer strange, you're no longer aliens. But now you have a home in God, and now you have a place. Let's flip back to 1 Peter. And notice what he says in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as foreigners and strangers. Paul says you're no longer foreigners and strangers. And Peter says, I urge you as foreigners and strangers, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And, and my question is this. Why does Paul use the one and say, you're no longer exiles, you're no longer strangers, and Peter says, actually, you are? Uh, part of it is the context that Peter is writing to, that these, these Christians that he's writing to most likely would have been physically exiled from their homes. Uh, they were undergoing persecution. They're undergoing violence. That they, there's a good chance that these Christians have been, have been sent out of Rome um, and, and forced out of their homes. And so there's a, there's a very real chance, sense that they are sojourners and exiles because they have been uh, removed from their place. But it's also a sense that they had a home in God. And Paul or Peter is challenging them to see themselves as being a people on the move. A people who, who aren't so secure in what they have and what they've been given that they just sit back and relax and don't worry about what's happening around them. That they don't become so comfortable with where they are, 
but instead begin to see themselves as people who don't quite fit in with what's going on around them. Whereas Paul is saying, you've been on the outside, and I want you to know that you have a home in Christ. Peter is saying, you've had a home, but let's be honest, your home is not this world. Your home is not uh, this place, and your, home, and, and your home is not this culture and this way of living that you see around us. You are foreigners, you're exiles. And I believe that Peter invites us as well to see ourselves as foreigners and exiles in our world, as sojourners. The, the word here for sojourners, um, or for exiles rather, is the, carries the idea of a resident alien. When I was 10 years old, my family moved from Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55407, 3741, 20th Avenue South, uh, to South America, uh, Bolivia. And we lived there for, uh, my parents lived there for, I think, like 11 years. I was there for about five and a half. Lived in a different land. Uh, as, as we lived there, we were all given this little card uh, that said, you belong here, you're allowed to stay, but you're not actually from here. Uh, we were resident aliens. It was, our, it was our ID. It would be like a driver's license or something like that. But even as a 10-year-old kid, we had to have a car that identified us and said, you, you live here, but you're not actually from here. And, and Peter is inviting us to, to have that card as, as we interact with our world, as we live in our world, to have a mentality that, yes, we live here in our world, but we're not actually from here. That there's something just a little bit of odd about us. As we're being built into this temple, we're being built on foreign territory, on strange land, where we don't fully belong. Uh, he invites us to, to, to understand that there's maybe just a little bit, something a little bit off with those Christians. Uh, they're, they're not just not quite one of us. Um, and he says, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, as resident aliens, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Abstain from those things that are a part of this land that you live in, but that are not a part of the land that you are from says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When they speak against you, this is our same word that we had all the way back in verse one. When they slander you, when they speak out against you. And notice that he doesn't say if, they speak against you. He says, when. It's, it's an inevitability for Peter. It's going to happen. They will speak against you because, frankly, there's something a little bit odd about you as a Christian. And you don't quite belong. And so he says, when they speak against you, be sure that the conduct that you have among them is honorable so that you are not also speaking against them. 
You are not then saying, well, hold on, let me defend myself. Look at what you're doing here. Let me tell you about all the ways that you're messing up over here. No, he says, live so honorably. Keep your conduct and your lives so honorable so that when they slander you as evildoers, when they say those Christians, man, look at all the, look at all the harm they cause in the world, that instead what they see when they come to you and say, ah, but you did, oh, wait. Instead, what they see is your good deeds. That your work among them is so good uh, that instead, even though they may not become Christians, even though they may not say, I don't know about this Jesus thing, it's, it's a little odd, that, that the, your work among them is so good that they will have to give glory to the God. And they say there's something about those Christians that it's a little bit odd, but I like it. It's a little bit strange, but it's good. And I'm glad that these Christians are among us. I'm glad that God is doing something in them, or I'm glad that they feel that God is, whatever it is, however they respond, that, they, that, that the response that we have when they slander us is, Peter doesn't say, make sure that you defend yourselves. Make sure that you uh, fight back and tell them about how wrong they are. No, he says, make sure that when they come at you with their slander, which will happen, your response is not malice and envy. Your response is not hypocrisy or deceit. Your response is not slander yourselves. But it's to keep your conduct so honorable the people around you will glorify God through your goodness. This is the work that we are being built up into as Christians. He says, this is the life that we are being called to participate in. And the reality is that as Christians, oftentimes we can, can move so far into the, to the context of living as resident aliens in this world that, that we just sort of take up residence and we lose the alien part. We lose the foreigner part and we get caught up in the arguments and the slander and the, and the bickering that happens within our world and the concerns of our world. And we lose sight, we lose the plot that God has called us to, to be proclaiming the, the works and the praises of the one who has called us out of that darkness. We, we lose that and we begin to participate still in the darkness. We, we begin to hang on just a little bit to those pieces of our old life and we, we just want them because they feel comfortable. And we see our world living that way and we see, okay, uh, this must be the way it is. But, but Paul or Peter calls us to, to rid ourselves of those things, to get rid of them. That what we're about, the goodness, proclaiming the praises of this God who has saved us. That this and only this is what we are being built into. That we are to rid ourselves of all of those things. Rid it. Get rid of it. Put it off so that we may proclaim the goodness of our God. Let's pray. God, we, um, 
we ask uh, for courage and wisdom to pay attention to the things in our lives that we are still wearing around that are a part uh, of the life that you have called us from. Give us discernment to see those things that are so comfortable and come so naturally to us. And give us the strength to put those things off. May we continue to find our nourishment not in the things of our world, not in the concerns of our world, but in the life that you have for us. May we live in to your love and to your goodness more fully every day. May we proclaim your praises and your excellency in all that we do so that when the world, when those outside choose to slander, they will instead be struck by your goodness and they will give you praise. We pray this in your name. Now this week, uh, may you, as you go from here, uh, you return to your homes, return to your work, um, return to your families. May you, uh, in all that you do, put off all kinds of envy and malice and slander and deceit. And may you proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light.